For those who are staying, turn to Nehemiah 4, chapter 4. I want to to plow on with this, so just bear with me. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, Meanwhile, the people in Manchester said, Meanwhile, the people in the Dream Centre, which is in Manchester, England, said, There's always something the people are saying, but it's what the people are declaring determines the faith level and expectancy. The strength of the labourers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. We said that often people break faith with God simply due to the size of the rubble that gets accumulated in their life and around their life. Last week, emotional issues, psychological, physiological, and often illogical issues are all rubble that people accumulate and use for reasons for breaking faith with God. I'm sure you've never used any of them. Neither have I. Yeah, right. The call of God upon our lives is a call that requires faith. How many of you believe that? And for without faith, you cannot please God. Why? Because it's impossible. So God says, just like a car car cannot run without fuel, whether it be petrol, gas, uh, diesel, it needs some kind of fuel. Your life cannot operate without faith. Your physical body cannot operate without fuel. There are certain ingredients that our spiritual life needs in order for it to run at its optimum. And now, if you've got a newish kind of car, some of the new cars do not like supermarket fuel. They don't. My father-in-law's car, is, it's, a, it's a newish car, and already we're beginning to realize that supermarket fuel, now he can't tell the difference, but I can. You can hear it, what we call pinking. And the carburetor's it's almost like he's wrestling with it. I don't want to let the, this cheap fuel in. And supermarket fuel is cheaper. On the newer cars, the newer cars, not all new cars, but many new cars, do not like your cheaper fuel. Right? It likes pure, genuine shell. Is it shell, Andy? It is shell, isn't it? Shell's a higher grade fuel, and it helps the engine to run smoother and more fluent. Many of us try to get by on a cheap grade of faith. It's called Sunday. It's true. And we wonder why we cannot perform or rise to our maximum potential because we listen and we grab and we eat on the run and we get cheap levels of Christian food and we call it faith and we wonder why we break down. We wonder why we cannot stay at our optimum. Why? Because you have a cheap grade of faith. Ooh, I'm not saying you, I'm saying generally people. You may have a cheap grade of faith. But without faith, there's only one kind of faith, the faith that pleases God. Yes? It's not word of faith, it's the faith that pleases God. Right? Now there is a word of faith that comes to us, but faith is not word of faith. Faith is the the kind that pleases God. So whatever that kind is, it's called obedience. Obedience is what pleases God. Trusting God in obedience, right? Doing what he actually says is more important than you just believing what he says. Doing what he says is what creates the fruit. Believing what he says 
helps you, but doing what he says actually helps him and you together. Amen? So, you cannot please God without faith. That, uh, the call that requires faith is often let go to the due, uh, to the amount of the rubble that's been accumulated from the past in our lives. So when you come to the cross, the cross should cut off. Y'all gone quiet on me now. Therefore, I'm a new creation. The older's gone. Right. Now, we know we still struggle with some habits and some levels of thinking. So when he says it's gone, he means it's been dealt with. It's not mean to say it's not still alive. Sin's habits and sin's nature have to be trained. Amen? So, and we have the power to retrain it because of the cross. Because the cross speaks a better word. So it's not, it's not that we're saying, you know, when some people get saved, they still have old habits. And yet some people, when they get saved, habits are broken. Thank God for those habits that have been broken. But for those habits that still remain, we need to train and discipline them and bring them under the new nature, which is Christ Jesus. How many of you agree with that? So, but if we never deal with them or we never allow anyone to help deal with them in us, you will try and deal with them, but you'll never deal with them. You'll leave them. And then what happens is, is faith can never come to your life. Why? Because of the issues that's still in the old nature. The old nature is always speaking. And if you read Romans and Corinthians, it tells you that the old nature is set on death. He doesn't want you to rise. But the new nature is Christ. And Christ crucified. So there's, there's a person on this side that's been dead and rose again. But there's, somebody, there's things on this side that's just dead. It's going to kill you. And it's bent on killing you. But this side, it wants to redeem what's wrong over there. But we, we need people in our lives and we need the word in our lives to change that to challenge that, to change it, to transform it. How many of you would agree with that? Sin's nature is something that we all must deal with. We all must deal with. Though you have been forgiven, you still have stuff in your life. Amen? So, Nehemiah discovered that within his own ranks, the calling of God on his life drew him to a particular group of people. And within those ranks of those people grew or loomed insufficiencies. And one of those insufficiencies was their lack of faith. As they were working and trying to do the work of God, they were overwhelmed by the size of the rubble that was in front of them, physically. Physically, they said, we can't build this wall, we can't continue with this work because of the rubble. Well, let's just get it shifted. Let's double the manpower, let's double it double the efforts, let's just shift it as, far as, as humanly possible. God would not have asked them to rebuild it if it was impossible to shift. Hello? So you have to find ways. But if you look at the natural elements, if you look at the natural physicalities, there's rubble. And there's always a reason why we can't do what God's asking us to do. It's because internally, we seem the rubble with inside us is attracting or so much that all our time, focus, and attention, and our reasons and excuses camp around the internal rubble. Yes? 
There is never mind the rubble outside. It's the rubble inside that often kills us. Yeah? And then you get the person who's got no rubble inside, but then they're, over, they're overwhelmed by the rubble outside. Lord, how can I change these people? Well, you can't change them. Do what I tell you, as I tell you, when I tell you, the way I tell you, and we'll remove the rubble one brick at a time. When God asks you to do something, it's got to be difficult. Why? Because if it was easy, you wouldn't need faith. Have you ever heard that phrase, attempt something so difficult that unless God, unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail? Now, you all, do you all agree with that? Now, what happens if he puts you in that scenario? What happens if he chooses Chris to do something that's way and above his, his pay grade? Right? And God calls him to do it. It's impossible. Now, he's called him, and because it's impossible, now he backs off. I can't do it, Lord. It's impossible. Right, that's why I called you. With God, finish it off. All things. Right. What part did we understand there? With God. With God. So God finds a man, <coughs> a woman. He chooses the assignment, knowing that it's bigger than you. You should be glad. We said this morning in our early morning prayer meeting that everybody wants faith to get, for God to get them out of trouble. But nobody wants faith for God to get, lead them into trouble. We're all great at quoting Psalm 23. Oh, his, his rod and his staff, they guide me, they lead me, they get me out the, they get me out the valley. Everybody wants to get out the valley. But what about the faith that takes you in there? Hello? Hello? Come on, be honest with yourself. Yes, Lord, I need some trouble in my life. And you say, well, I've got all the trouble I need. Well, you need a different kind of trouble. A trouble that creates faith, not stress. <coughs> the difference between trouble that causes stress and the trouble that causes faith, do you know what it is? Grace. If you recognize grace in your life and work and learn to work with grace, grace shouldn't cause stress. It will cause hardship because trouble's called hardship. Hello? Get ready for this. Hardship will come to you whether you volunteer for it or not. But grace must hold you. Grace. Not just faith, not just anointing. You, you know, you were charismatic. You talk about the anointing. All I need is the anointing. No, you don't. Shut up. You need anointing, grace, and faith. And obedience. Need those things. It's never one thing. Anointing is something God gives. Yes? Grace is something that's been poured out. Yes? God gives each man a different measure of anointing. Okay? And with that anointing comes your gifting. With grace, God poured it out to all of us. Yes? So we have to operate, and faith is also a measure. We'll see that in a minute. So you have to operate, combine all those things together to keep you sane. Romans, God knowing that people, God knowing that people have weaknesses, instructed Nehemiah to position the people, and we said this where? In the exposed places. We want to be safe. We want to be safe. Now, right now in Pakistan, I watched a documentary yesterday on in, in Thailand, 
many of the churches in Pakistan who have been persecuted and fled, they can't flee, uh, flee to the, the surrounding nations because they're all Muslim nations. So the nation they go to is Thailand, right? They flee to Thailand, and what happens is, is that the Thai, Taiwanese people do not see asylum as an, uh, an application waiting to be uh, finalized. They see it as a criminal offense. So what they do is they go and arrest the women and the men, fine them, and then put them in prison because you came to the nations to seek asylum. So it's a criminal offense. And not only do they get persecuted in Pakistan, they flee to a nation that they think it's going to, they can apply for asylum and then get put in prison. The only difference is they don't get tortured. But nevertheless, you didn't leave one nation to be sat in a prison. But their faith tells them we've got to do whatever we need to do to get out of this thing. So these people around the world using their faith to worship God in extreme. How many churches have been, have been burnt down? How many Christians in Pakistan have been persecuted? In Iran, in many nations around the world where religion is, not, is frowned upon either because of Islam or because of communism. Yes? And yet there are believers, brothers and sisters, who have a genuine, sincere, pure faith. And here we are in the West, stroll into church, stroll out of church, and we've got our version of church, which really I don't know what it is. And yet these brothers and sisters on the other side standing for something. I tell you, church, we've got a lot to learn about faith. And we need to learn it from our brothers and sisters as well as from the Scripture. There are many, many coming. And I said to many Iranians who came here, I said to them, don't come to the West and die in your freedom. One of them came in and said, I want to die for Jesus. I said, don't die for him, live for him, it's harder. And you know that guy doesn't live for Christ. He's up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. I said, you'd have been better off back in Iran. How can you say that? Because you stood for something. You stood for something that meant something. You just didn't treat church as something to slide in and slide out and do my own thing in the week, six days a week. Faith must cause you to stand for someone and something. Faith is serious. God will, God will put us in exposed places. Now, I thank God that the West is safe. But even, even with terrorism the West gets more and more unsafe, right? But guess what? I'm not going to walk by fear. I've got to walk by faith. And you think to yourself, well, I'll be safe in my little house. They're not coming to your house. Boko Haram or, or uh, ISIS are not coming to your house. They're coming to your city. You're safe in your little house at this point in time. But it's the city that's always under attack. And that's why it's the city that we must fight for. It's the city's the issue. Politics, it's not just about your house. It's about cities, controlling cities, nations. Faith needs to expose us in the unnatural places. There's massive holes in society's walls. Massive holes. Would we all agree with that, church? 
Would we, no, come on, let me ask you again. Would we all agree that there's massive holes in society? There are some of those gaps, those, the breaching of, of the walls, that's where God wants you and I to stand. The exposed places. It's not enough to say, yeah, well, we know our society's falling. We've got to say, Lord, where's my part on the wall? Put me there, Lord. Who's going to speak for those people? You. Who's going to pray for those people? You. God, put me on that part of the wall. But I'll be exposed. I'm going to get a good hiding. Yep. So you better go with someone then. So you better have some decent, sincere faith. None of that Sunday service faith. I believe the door will be on and the heater will be on when I get in. That's not faith. That's called expectancy. Genuine faith. For God, for, to get your backside on that wall, in that gap, knowing there's gonna, you're going to take some fire, requires faith. Oy. Now you know why you need fearless faith. Not fearless Phil, fearless faith. Romans 12.3 says this, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So everyone say measure. measure. Given, given by God, by God. To, me. to me. There's a measure that God has given to you. It's that measure that God expects you to develop. That measure. Well, how do I know my, how do I know my measure? It's very, very easy. Do you want the answer? What's your obedience? Your obedience to his word is, is the measure that you've got. And your lack of obedience will determine the measure that needs to increase. Your obedience to the word, the spoken word, the, you know, the word that you hear and the word that you read, is the level of measure you've got operating in you right now. Your level of disobedience is the lack of measure and it's, the, it's a sign that you need to develop more. But we must all agree, can we all agree, that God's given us all a measure? How you use your measure, and what you use your measure, and where you use your measure, is the journey. It's the journey, that's the destiny. The destiny is the journey, not the end, it's the journey. Amen? Can you see this? So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't think. In self... Instead, think with sober judgment and think in accordance with the measure of faith God given to you. Now, what I love about God's measure is this. He gives Chris a measure of faith, but then he asks Chris to do more than his measure. <laughs> if I give, I've got no money on me now. Perfect illustration, probably. If I give, put my hand in my pocket and I say to Dave, yeah, Dave, put your hand in. Go and buy me. Let's just say, let's make it simple. Go and buy me a jar of coffee. And he pulls his hand back and he says, you give me nothing. <coughs> I said, I'd give him my word. Go and buy it. <laughs> well, that's not enough. I need currency. Well, my word is currency. Well, did not Jesus say to Peter, go fishing. And the fish that you carry will have a coin in it. Right? If Jesus orders the dinner, he'll pay for it. Right? So David goes, 
thinking <coughs> one or two things. Either the pastor's ripped him off, or I'll have to put my hand in my own pocket and buy the coffee, or by the time he puts his hand in his pocket, someone may have come and supplied what he needed. All he needed was to operate on the word. Let him work it out. Let him work it out. Let him trust it. But the, but the request was bigger than what I gave him. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the currency. Very often when God puts you and asks you to do something, he knows what you don't have. But he uses what you don't have. He uses the, the assignment, the work, the calling to develop what you don't have. He never waits until you've got a full measure. He works with what you've got. Hello? Stop thinking I need this amount before I start acting. No, work on the measure you've got. You seen this? <coughs> I've got a cough going on here. So, can you, or would you acknowledge, church, let me ask you a question, and each individual, if you will answer, but answer honestly and sincerely, do you believe, in, as an individual, you all have a measure? Would you, or can you see, based on what I said about your faith, in regards, in other words, the measure of my faith is my disobedience and my obedience. Can you see where your measure lacks and where, it, and where your measure is strong? Can you see in your own life? Around the word. I know there's areas where I, my measure's very, very poor. I know I don't obey God. And I know there's areas in my life where my measure's pretty good. There's certain things I know. I've got it in the tank to go there, but I just don't have it. And it's normally around the areas of your flesh you don't have a good measure. Yeah? You've always got faith for somebody else, but never for yourself. Yeah? You've always got faith to God to crucify somebody else but never you. Yeah? You've got faith to supply nails, to bang someone to the cross, <clears throat> but you've never got faith for God to crucify you, metaphorically speaking. So with a measure, that's all we've got here is a measure. Yes? Each man's got a different measure. With a measure, Ezra discovered that despite the size of the rubble, you must keep on building with your measure. Turn to Ezra chapter 3 verse 2. Ezra chapter 3 verse 2. Then Je uh, Jeshua, son of jo jo Josedach, and his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they're doing something based on what was written. So they've got faith to take what's been written and to do. Can you see this? Let's continue on. Despite their fear, the people, the fear of people around them, they built the altar on its foundation. So despite some issues, despite fear in them and around on the people, they continue to build. They took the word that was coming from the scripture, build, rebuild the altar. They knew there was fear in the midst, but despite the fear in the midst, they began to use their measure. Can you see this? 
So uh, they built the they built the, the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings onto it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifice. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacle with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. In other words, they did not let their internal fear stop them doing what they knew they should be doing. I'm speaking to someone. They did not let what they knew was right to do and their internal lack or the the lack that they perceived in the people around them, they didn't let what was lacking stop them from doing what they needed to do. Neither must you. Neither must you. There is an altar that needs rebuilding in your life. There is an altar when I said this morning in the worship, God needs an altar on the ground because there's one up in heaven. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb has been slain. There's an altar up there. Yes? So the altar down here and the altar up there must find a connecting place, a meeting place. You must build that altar despite what you see, feel, think, and fear. Let me say that again. You must build that internal altar despite what you think, feel, or fear. You must do that. God needs a place on the earth. He needs an altar on the ground and he needs an altar in the, in the heavens. That's the pattern. But the one that's in the heavens was slain before the foundation of the world so that you could have a, a measure of faith. So we see Ezra with his measure. Rhymes a bit, that, doesn't it? Poetic. Ezra with his measure discovered that the size of the rubble Despite the size of the rubble, you must keep on building with your measure. Paul, with his measure of faith, discovered you must not be overwhelmed by the rubble, but work your way through the rubble, trusting God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Now, none of you have gone through what he's gone through. Maybe you've glimpsed it, maybe you've touched parts of it, but this boy went through it. So I think if I'm going to listen to anybody talk about how to keep removing rubble out of your life, I'm going to listen to Paul. Would you not agree? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? And there's a question mark in my Bible in this text. So he's obviously, the dialogue before it, he's talking about these guys and he's saying, are they all servants? Okay, I'm out of my mind, he says, to talk like this. I'm out of my mind to even suggest what I'm about to suggest to you guys, you readers. Not just he was talking to them, he's talking to us. Yes? I am more, he's talking about his credentials about being a Hebrew. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Can you imagine this guy going for, going to a, for an interview with his CV? Yeah? Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I, uh, and once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in an open sea, And I've been constantly on the move and I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, shower bandits, (laughs) 
in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. This boy doesn't answer to the name of Lucky, does he? I have labored and have toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger, thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've often been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Would you say the guy has had some rubble in his life? If you had 1% of that, many of that would finish some of us. But this boy, see, can you, did, did, did his anointing, was it his anointing that kept him? It was the grace. The grace of God. The anointing allowed him to do what he was doing. The grace upon his life kept him in, in position. It held him. Amen? His obedience kept the grace supplying on his life. I've labored and toiled and often gone. But besides everything, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So then he says, who is weak and do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. All these areas that Paul went to exposed his measure. Hello? You're beaten five times. You think you'd learn the first time, wouldn't you? Shipwrecked three times. You think you wouldn't go on a boat after the first time. But this guy kept on going and going and going and going. Why? Because every challenge created more faith to go for the next level. Hello, church. Can we see this? We must take heart from this kind of script, this scripture. Because we must keep on removing the rubble. We must keep building faith to go again. It's almost like as I'm removing bricks, someone's building them, stacking them up. And then he says this, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. If you're going to boast, boast about your weakness, <clears throat> but do it honorably. Can't do it, Lord. I'm willing to go for it. I'm willing to go and open my mouth to that person. I'm willing to go and write that petition. I'm willing, oh God, to go and sit on that board and be your voice. I'm willing, oh God, to go into the marketplace and do what I need to do. You know, I'm always challenged when I see people doing various methods of evangelism. And I told you about the story when I was in the precinct. God said, what are you doing? Shut up. And this week I saw some of the uh, cultural expressions of evangelism. I'll leave it at that point. And it was quite colorful and quite noisy and quite uh, disjointed in my opinion. And I'm just stood there and, I, and, and all of a sudden I'm just about to give my opinion and God says, shut it. What are you doing? Whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, don't knock it. What are you doing? Okay, Lord. They might be there combining their measure of faith and doing something. God works in all things. So I learned, shut up, Tony. Shut up. How many of us could write a letter to a church and say, I've labored and toiled? How many of us, you were writing your letter, your farewell letter, 
I have labored and I have toiled. Spiritually speaking, now not for your family. I have labored and I have toiled. And I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. I'm not talking about communism now. I'm not talking about recession now. I'm not talking about hard times in that sense. I'm talking about for the work of God. Gone naked. No. Hopefully you'll never have to go naked. Please spare us that. <clears throat> Don't eat your clothes. <laughs> Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, the weight of the church, the growth of the church. Now, it never is. Paul didn't read that scripture, I will build my church. But still, Paul felt this concern because he'd labored. He put his faith into those areas. He established works. He, he paid the price. Personally, he felt responsible. And that's understandable. Whatever you put your measure, you'll always put ownership to some degree. There's, an, there's, a, there's, a, there's a right element there. So we see that Ezra, with his measure, discovered that despite the size of the rubble, you must keep on building. Paul, with his measure of faith, discovered you must not be overwhelmed by the rubble, but you must work your way through it and learn to boast about God in it. Paul, with his measure of faith, discovered the principle of what is good for the goose is also good for the gander. What do I mean? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> so Paul understands that suffering is a, it, and persecution and hardships and trouble are a part of Christianity, something that the church does not talk about today. Our messages become to Jesus, personal gains, personal prosperity, We've, we've, we've omitted, cut and pasted, suffering, persecution, hardships and trouble out of our gospel. And that's why we get people just sat in church not wanting to do anything. Our message from the moment we receive it is a mission to rise. Hello? Paul says this. So Paul, if I've paid hardships and I've paid the price, what do you think the logical thing to do is when I'm raising others? Expect the same. Impart the same DNA, the same expectancy, the same issues. Now, each man will have his own course. And on his course, we'll have different hardships and different troubles. But at least I'm raising someone to expect them. Yes? Because if I tell you that, if I don't share this with you, and I tell you that this is going to be a bed of roses, and then all of a sudden you step on a thorn... Guess what? I didn't prepare you for the thorn. But the thorn was always there. So I must, if I'm going to raise anybody up, if you as a father or a parent, you must raise children up to tech knocks. You must do that. It's part of life. What's one of the things we teach our kids? You're all going to identify with this. We tell our kids something does not grow at the bottom of our garden. Can anybody tell me what it is? A money tree. Right, you go in my garden, there's all kinds of things in there, but there ain't a money tree. Right? So if we tell them there's no money tree, what do we do then? Prepare them to develop one for themselves in their own life. Mum and dad are not your money tree. Hello? So we better then, it's not enough not telling them, I should say, it's not enough telling them that we're not the money tree. The wisdom then is to go and show them how to rise and plant and build their own tree. Yeah. Or raise, should they not rise, raise their own tree. 
Is that, is that fair? Why? Because if you don't, they're going to climb your tree. They're going to climb your tree and they're going to take all your fruit. It's true. So he says, Timothy, my son. My son. So what he's saying is, next generation, get ready. Get ready. I give you this instruction. It's not a suggestion. (coughs) It's not a suggestion. Timothy, my son, let me give you this instruction about what's coming. Then he says this. Keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight of faith. In holding on to faith and a good conscience, (coughs) some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. So a good father in the faith is now preparing his son. A good shepherd will prepare his sheep. A good shepherd. But it's not enough. Listen, a good shepherd, a good shepherd, a good shepherd will not just prepare you, but he'll take you to places that expose you. Ah, you didn't think that, did you? A good shepherd must be going somewhere. Sheep follow shepherds. Yeah? The trouble is, is most shepherds think they're leading from the pulpit. Because they preach. They're not leading. Instruction to follow my way of life, my faith, my purpose, my sufferings. Paul was very clear. He had something in his life for others to follow. Hello? Paul didn't do it from the safety of a church. Paul did it on the road. So he said the first thing is, key things to remember when we're fighting this good fight of faith is that you must fight, stand, and act, and pray in faith. You must fight, you must stand, you must act, that's the obedience, and you must pray in faith. Stand, act, pray in faith. In faith. Your prayer goes before you. Many of us want to act and talk, but our prayer is what goes before us. And the challenge I would ask for most pastors is how often do you pray for your people? You want to preach to your people. You want to take from your people. But how many times do you pray for your people? Because that's the sign of a shepherd. Praying for the people to change, to respond to the word, so that they become supple in their spirit, so they can be led. So therefore, he must be going somewhere. If he's not going anywhere, he doesn't need sheep. He just needs a crowd. A shepherd must be going somewhere. Why? Because my sheep hear my voice. And they come to me. That's the, that's the role of a shepherd. He must be going somewhere for the sheep. So when he speaks in the atmosphere, the sheep gather. Why? Because he's going in a direction. But most, people, most pastors just want to gather a crowd so they can speak to them and call it ministry. They're not going anywhere. They're not leading the sheep anywhere. They're not building the people up for anything. That's not all shepherds. That's some. 
So we must stand, we must fight. Timothy, my son, the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. Act, stand in faith. You must use the prophetic word. Timothy, the one thing that was going to keep Timothy, his faith rising, was the words that had been declared over him. I'm telling you, there's times in my life when I was lost and I was, I was stuck in, in that job, what I was doing, and I just thought, Lord, when is my day ever going to come? And I was earning good money. But I just knew it wasn't my day. It wasn't my day to leave, and it wasn't my day to go on to other things. But I had to learn to stay in that factory where I was working for my day to open up. But that was part of my day, but I just didn't see it. Yeah. God was preparing me in that factory. God taught me so many illustrations, prophetically spoke to me what I would be doing from that factory. Some of you know the ministry that we've had involved in your life is the result of what God spoke to me in that factory. And God was using machinery to speak to me about you. And God will use the same thing with you. God will use everything. God will use everything. So prophetic words are so, so important. When God's leading you into a new work. When God's leading you, if things need to be declared so that they will hold you in the midst of the battle. Lord, you said. Come on, get hold of this. This is why you must pay attention closely to what's being said. For without the word, you have nothing to fight with. You must have something to fight with, something to launch. You must hold on to faith. Listen, here's a good one. You must hold on to faith. Paul told Timothy, hold on to faith with a good conscience. I'm doing the right thing. I'm clean. I'm righteous. I've got a good conscience. It's your own con- Listen, your own conscience is what condemns you. <clears throat> your own conscience. You must stand with a good conscience. I know I'm doing the right thing. Even if people laugh at you, I know I'm doing the right thing. My conscience is clear. I'm doing it for the right reasons, the right purpose. My conscience is clear. If your conscience isn't clear, stop it. And get it clear and then continue. Amen? So Daniel, with his measure of faith, like Ezra, like Paul, like Timothy, Daniel understood some things about this measure of faith. Daniel understood that your measure of faith will determine how you pray and what you expect. Your measure of faith will determine how you pray and what you expect. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from Scripture, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet. In other words... Daniel understood the present word and the historical word. You must understand, when it comes to prophecies, you must understand those words that were spoken to you 10 years ago still mean something. They're still fresh. Don't put a time on them. You think, oh, it was mentioned to me 10 years ago, my life's changed so much. No, no, they spoke ahead of time. The prophetic word spoke ahead of time. He speaks ahead of time, so he's got a future. He speaks on time, and he speaks about time. Hello? 
So it's got past, present and future context. That's why it'll hold you. You only see prophecy in the future. But what about the past? I'm standing on the words that have been prophesied by others. The past launched me into the future. Their past launched me into the future. My faith keeps me in the present. And my faith launches me in the future. Amen? And what happens is, is let's just say three generations here. Chris stands up one day. I believe in that this house will have da-da-da-da-da. And begins to pray and pray and pray and prophesy and keep praying. And then all of a sudden, I turn up. Right? So in his past, he prophesied in the future. I get the word, it's called my present. Yeah? I link with him. He sees me rise up. We stand together. We prophesy. Chris is getting older. Let's just say he's 80 now. His light is dimming. But I'm still young. But I've still got a future. So I begin to pray for Phil's generation to rise up. So now Phil begins to, I begin to stand and prophesy and pray. He's now gone home to the Lord. It's now me. But I'm still praying and prophesying. Then all of a sudden, his generation comes in. So now, I'm here because of him. He's here because of me. Now it's, then it's his job to do the same thing. We call that generational legacy. And it was prayer that kept on sowing it through the generations. Faith kept believing, Lord. I don't care what I see now. There's no young people. There's no future. But Lord, there's going to be a future. This place is going to be swimming with young people. And we're going to declare what we sense in our spirit and what the future needs. Daniel understood that. Daniel understood that there's a word that had gone before by Jeremiah. That he had to take this word and begin to sow it so that that generation could come forth. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So when you're praying, you must believe that there's greater things being unleashed just by your mouth. But you feel, oh, little old me. What can I change? Oy. You'd be surprised what you can change from your mouth. You didn't have the power of your mouth. Why do you use it so much? Daniel, while I was speaking and praying, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, Daniel, understood from Scripture according to the word given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation, desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer. Your first port of call to develop this measure is prayer. Next scripture, Daniel 9.20, verse 20. Write this, your prayer will release heavenly visitations. Guess what's going to happen? You ready for this? You like this part. While I was speaking, Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, so he's speaking to the Lord, he's praying, he's confessing his sin and the sin of, of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord. So he's making his request, he's praying, he's speaking, he's identifying with, with, with his own city, his own people, all that goes on in prayer. Yeah? And, and my God from his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man... I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of evening sacrifice. Listen to what he says. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. In your prayer, as you use faith, insight and understanding will be given to you because you pray over issues. 
We all say we want wisdom and understanding. We just want it from a distance. We want just to read. We want to listen. But no, the deep treasure has to be dug. That's why it's deep. You have to search for it. And it's in the prayer that God begins to reveal to you secrets, mysteries, insights, and understanding. It's amazing. When I start speaking in tongues, just, worship, just start walking, speaking in tongues, the clarity in my mind that comes. Insight. Give, I get insight, strategies, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Why? Because I'm working by the Spirit and not by my mind. Yeah? And it's amazing. That's why when others are praying, leading the prayer meetings in the morning, I'm just chipping in at the back. Why? I get inspired as I speak in tongues. Thoughts just come to me. Clear. As you start finding your place, building your altar on the ground, you start praying and worshiping. I guarantee wisdom and understanding will come to you of how to solve the issues you're praying about and how to speak to those that you're praying about. This is part of building the wall. This is building the wall. Insight. Do you know what insight means? The ability to have clear, deep, and sometimes sudden understanding of a complicated problem or a situation. Understanding means knowledge about a subject, a situation, or about how something works. Last one. Your measure of faith must create within you a greater capacity to consider things being taught and shown to you. So now you're praying, God gives you wisdom, God gives you insight, God gives you understanding, but you must have a capacity to take it and put it to use. There's no point in just building up your cerebral intelligence system. Daniel said in Daniel 10 verse 11, you are highly esteemed, the angel says, Consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day, listen, you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them. I guarantee you, if you stand at your wall doing what this word, what we're declaring to you is asking, you will have a heavenly visitation and you will see the moment you set your mind to this, heaven will explode on the scene. You should, I should have at least got an amen there. Consider carefully what is being spoken. That's your first challenge today. Consider carefully what is being spoken to you today. Don't be a hearer. Be a doer. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. He's speaking to us today, church. What is the Lord speaking to us about? That's where you must start to pray. That's what you must start to pray about. Pray about what God's saying. Pray about what God's saying, not what you're feeling. Pray about what God is saying rather than what you're feeling. Well, Lord, what do you want me to pray about today? Well, I feel, no. Take the word that's been sown. Then he says to him, stand up. Daniel, stand up. Why? That tells me. A posture 
of concentration. Focus. If, you st- if I ask you all to stand up right now, I get some level of attention. Yes? So he says to Daniel, stand up, because what I'm about to say to you, son, you need to listen. Why? Because heaven is waiting for you to respond to this word. You must consider what's being said right now in your hearing. Why? Because how you, you hear will determine how you respond. What you hear will determine how you respond. From the first day, you set your mind. So let me ask you a question. What do you think about? What are you setting your mind on and around? The Bible tells us whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, set your mind on those things. You're thinking, I guarantee right now, if I could zoom into your mind... Your thinking will determine whether you're irritated, agitated, jealous, brassed off, full of faith, bitter, lonely, despondent. Your thinking will tell me what you feel. So what are you thinking? It will tell me whether you're humble. I wish you'd hurry up. I want to go home. I wish you'd hurry up. Guess what? We finish when we finish. You're humble, wish you'd flipping all your flipping. I've got an appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Just expose you. Just expose you. Just, just for one Mancunian speaking. It's just expose you. I wish you'd shut up. And now you're saying, I'm in faith. Do you enjoy church? Though? Yeah, but you didn't have to go on. And on. And on. I have come in response to your words. Now listen. That doesn't mean it's finished. That means it's closed. (laughs) Choking apart. He didn't come to Daniel because of Daniel. You need to get this. We're finished with this. In fact, let's stand to our feet. Please. Just to give you an encouragement and finishing. here's the issue he did not come to Daniel because of Daniel read the scripture because of your words because of you because you paid attention because you captured my word in your heart and you spoke my word back out, I came to that which was sown in your heart. I didn't come for you, Daniel. I came for the words that you captured. Why? Because I am bound. I am bound to act on the word that I've declared. I'm not bound to act because of you. I'm bound to act because of the word that you speak. Ooh. Some of us are praying, thinking God, God is, is, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not only responsible, but he's bound to answer our prayers because of me. No, he's not. What happens if you're not praying the right things? God won't come. God can't answer what's not his word. God's bound to answer his word, what's spoken and acted in faith. 
God responds to faith. Because we read right at the beginning, it's impossible to please God without faith. Right. So what is faith? Faith is many things, but one of those things is it's a word. So if Phil captures that word, you capture that word this week. What's been said these last couple of weeks, if you're smart and diligent, you'll capture these words. And you will fight for your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your home. And you'll take this word and you'll stand in faith. And you'll overcome the obstacles. You'll be exposed. That's okay. But when you're exposed, your faith is growing. And then what was exposed? You see, that's nothing no more. And then you go to the next level. So, you need to consider this morning what God is saying. Will God come to you this week based on your words? Or will you expect God to come to you because of who you are? Well, I'm just loved, I'm blessed. All that's true. I'm a child of God, that's true. But he came to Daniel because of his words. So, what words do you have stored up? Mary, Mary. Mary stored the word up in her heart. God came to Mary because of the word she stored in her heart. Will God come to you because of what's been stored? Or do you expect God to come to you because of you come to church? <coughs> Let's bow our heads, if we will, please. It's time to consider some things. It's time to consider, church. God wants an altar on the ground. Because there's one in the heavens. So if you raise your hands with me again, let's, let's, let's seal this day off. We started in the Spirit. We've heard the word from the Spirit. It must now be sealed in your spirit. Because when we say amen and everyone scatters in a tea, cup of tea, conversations change. And things get forgotten. But you need to store things up this morning so that next week you are fully prepared, fully armed to launch and rebuild these walls, remove this rubble and build. Okay? Okay? We must conclude. Conclude this morning. What it is, I'm going to use this word, Lord. Now listen, disappointment's gone now. So now you've got a clean slate. Plant this word in your heart and you'll, you'll know, you won't see disappointment. Why? Because these are fresh seeds from heaven. Water it. Don't just say, well, I've got seeds. You must do something with your seed. You must water it. How do I water it? Confess. Speak life. Prophesy into the future. Let these seeds have life. In you. Stand on the prophetic word. So let's right now, let's seal it. And let's just say, Father, this morning, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fresh soil. I thank you for the fresh seeds. I thank you, Lord, that you've exposed me in, in, in the, these places. I thank you, Lord, that you've chosen the task. You've chosen the family. You've chosen the workplace. You've chosen the marketplace. Lord, these are all been designed to build faith in your church. Father, like Daniel, I want to approach you. I want to fight like Daniel. I want the same visitation as Daniel. I want to take the word. I want, the, I want heaven to respond to the word that's in me, not just respond to me. Father, help me. Strengthen me. Holy Ghost, 
Show me how to stand and come to this measure, this kind of stature in the spirit. Show me how I can build. Take me beyond my weaknesses. Take me beyond my limitations. Take me beyond Holy Ghost. Today, something is about to change in my life. And I'm about to partner with you and go into a new level of destiny that I've not gone before. Holy Ghost, I trust you to lead me into the battle. Oh, Father. Father. Right now, right now, right now. Come on, let's just just expect the God to do something in our lives. My charge to you this morning is Timothy or Timothets. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight of faith. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and some have shipwrecked their faith. But I declare over you this morning, church, the next generation, the present generation, I give you this instruction to keep him with the prophecies. Lord, we value the prophetic word over this house. So that by following them, you may fight the good fight of faith. Lord, put a good fight in the dog. Put a good fight in the dog. Oh, Father, put a bulldog spirit. One that will stand its ground. Oh, Father, a good fight. Not just a fight, but a good fight. Let it be a fight not of the flesh, but a fight of faith. Holding on with a good conscience. Father, because we will not abandon and we will not be shipwrecked in our faith. And in Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation.